probably not going to be the case, but I will try my hardest. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we are going to continue in in 1 Timothy. Uh, we are chopping through this book, and we're kind of nearing the end here. We're uh, at chapter 5 today, so you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, please feel free to grab that. If you don't own a Bible, would you take and keep that Bible? That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to read it, use it, and so uh, please keep that. You can also follow along on your smartphone uh, if you have that. If you have the Version app or the Bible app, underneath the tab section, uh, click in the Well Austin, and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, it's under the events part. If you don't have that, you can actually take this link and put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along that way too. We say this every week, but we mean this. We want your eyes on the Word to see we're not just kind of making this stuff up. We're not just saying kind of whatever we want to say, but we're truly trying to submit to what the Word of God has for us in our life. All right. Today uh, is going to be a very, very interesting text, I think. Um, I personally have never uh, heard this text taught on before, uh, not because it's a difficult text by any means, but uh, it just seems on the surface rather boring and somewhat irrelevant to us, all right? And so that's always a great way to grab your attention at the start, right? Great introduction. I hope that we'll see as we go throughout the sermon that this actually is very, very relevant for us in a lot of different ways. So remember, uh, as a church, what we're doing with the book of 1 Timothy is we kind of want to move from a church plant to an established church. What does it look like to kind of make that shift where we uh, grow some roots and where we know that we're going to be here for the long term, not just for our own health, but for the health of the city as we hopefully plant churches and for the health of the world as we send missionaries around the world. And so Paul, very similarly, is helping Timothy learn how to establish his church. Timothy was a young pastor in Ephesus trying to get a church plant moving into a church, and so it's felt very relevant for us today in our culture. So he's given Timothy all these instructions about how he's supposed to run a church. He says, hey, hey, here's how you uh, 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 do right theology, or here's how you think right doctrine, and that was kind of all chapter one. Here's what you need to be preaching. Make sure you don't sway away from this. This should be the church's foundation. He talked about uh, leadership, and he talked about service, and he even talked about Timothy's own personal life, how he as a pastor or a leader is supposed to be leading. And now he moves on to something a little bit different, okay? What this text is going to show us today is it's going to show us the importance of structures and systems, all right? For some of you, the word structure is like a cuss word to you. In fact, you would have rather have me say the real S word than the S word structure or system, right? Because for some of you, you don't really operate in that. Matter of fact, our generation as a whole is probably one that uh, lacks a lot of structure and we don't find a lot of value in structure in and of itself. And so we know one of the reasons why we don't is because uh, if you overstructure, or if you go too far on one end, particularly within the church, then it just kind of turns the church into a business of sorts. And nobody wants that. We've, we've seen that done and we kind of scoff at that. And sometimes rightly so, because the church is not a business. The church is not just here to operate and to grow bigger and to, to, to collect more tithes and get more butts and seats. Like that's not what the church is about. And sometimes when we hear structure, we tend to think about it along that line. However, at the same time, a lack of structure is the undoing of a ton of churches a lack of systems, a lack of organization is actually the undoing of churches as a whole. There needs to be structure both within the church and within our own individual lives. There needs to be structure and systems as we uh, orient ourselves, okay? Now, I know we're in East Austin. 
Central East Austin, right? I know that we're an urban church plant. We love the city of Austin. Keep Austin weird. That tends to lack structure in and of itself right there, right? Like, like we are mainly a, a younger demographic in a lot of ways. And so uh, structure is kind of hard for a lot of us. And more than women in ministry and sound doctrine and calling sin, sin, this sermon may offend more of you than those ones, all right? And all in the past. So here's what I want you to do, okay? It's going to be like swallowing medicine for some of you, all right? What I want you to say out loud is I want you to say, structure is okay. Structure is good. Structure is biblical. All the artists and musicians in the room now feel like they have to take a bath, all right? The engineers, I actually heard an engineer say amen and shake his head. I've never seen him move at all. He's like, this brother can preach, all right? Now, look. Faith and freedom, like, those are important things, right? Like, and, and sometimes God calls us to move outside of structure and to just kind of follow the Spirit. And sometimes that's dark and, and it's weird and we don't know where we're going. And those things are extremely important, being led by the Spirit. However, structure is extremely important too, particularly as Scripture kind of lays it out. And so they're both wings of the airplane, if you will, all right? You can't fly without the other one. And so you need faith. You need uh, to move by the Spirit. You need to... To, to just take steps, to take leaps of faith even at times, but you need structure, you need systems in order to fly the plane of the church well. This is part of the reason why we're actually looking for an equipped pastor, or in a lot of ways, he'll play kind of the role of like almost an executive pastor, if you will, because we know that systems and structures are important in a lot of ways, which, quick update on that, just to keep you guys updated as a church, uh, we are down to two candidates, okay? And so we got over 80-something applications in at the beginning, and we're down to two people now. We're kind of vetting that process. We're hoping that one of those two will actually be our guys. So we hope before September rolls around, there will be another pastor on staff because that's really needed, all right? And we'll get into that more as we go on, okay? So um, system structure is where we're at. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, and let us pick it up in verse 3. It says... Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, real quick, uh, the word honor there uh, is not meant to be used in like praising their name. Like, does that make sense? Like, like if I say honor the president, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, uh, 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 submit to him in some ways, uh, uh, highlight him. Or if I say, wow, that really honored me, I'm probably saying, hey, wow, you like really, really blessed me. You, 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 you welcome my name well, if you will. That's not what it's saying here, okay? It's not like, wow good job. You're a widow, right? Like that's not what it's saying. That doesn't even make any sense, right? When we lay it like that. The Greek word uh, tima, which is the word that's used there, is always meant for financially. And so what it's actually saying is give financially to widows or, or honor them with your money because you have some and they do not, then honor them with that, okay? Let's keep going. Verse four. That's important as we go through this context. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without a reproach. 
But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A couple of things here. So first we see that a children or a child is supposed to uh, honor uh, widows that are a part of their family, or if their grandkids are supposed to honor their grandparents, they should make a return for taking care of your bad behinds for 18 to 25 to 40 years. Amen? Right? Like that's what it's saying here. So you can honor them at the end of their lives because they honored you at the start of yours. That's what Paul's saying here. You should make a return. And anyone who uh, does not see the need for this yet, that means you do not have kids, all right? Um, however, we have eight pregnancies right now and like 15 little kids running around. So this will become more and more relevant as we move forward as a church. It's important that we honor women who are widows. So all the parents said amen, right? In fact, part of the reason why they're dying is because they lost 30 years of vitality taking care of your bad behinds growing up, right? And so now you can go and you can make a return, he says. In fact, uh, I'm assuming the reason why this may even be more relevant is because I'm assuming that a lot of you need to begin to think about this for your own family, that you probably have parents who, as they are getting older, are beginning to approach an age where you should begin to think about what is my responsibility? as a son or as a daughter, if things start going bad, who's going to take care of them and does that fall on me? Now, the answer isn't always an immediate yes to that. If you have siblings, if people that live closer, there, there are homes that we have today that they did not have in that culture, but you should begin to think in some way, hey, how can I honor my parents who have honored me? Let the word of Christ influence you in this matter. Okay, because the word of Christ is actually very, very strong here and it's very straightforward. It doesn't really need to be preached that much, does it? Like it just says, look, honor them, take care of them. In fact, verse eight says that you're actually worse than non-believers if you don't do this. Question, what is worse than a non-believer? Now that may sound bad and a lot of you in here are seeking and are going, hey, hey, who is God? And, and Paul's not saying this like you're lesser than, but what he's saying is that even people that don't uh, 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 say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I follow Christ, even people who have no care about Christianity as a whole know that they should be honoring their family. If you now who are a Christian, who you should have a greater moral understanding, you should be even more submissive to certain moral principles principles like honoring your family, if you cannot now see this and take care of them, then you're worse than those that don't even proclaim Christ in the first place. And in the book of Romans, it actually says that oftentimes people deny the faith in a lot of ways. People uh, reject Christianity because of the way that Christians act. And this is one of those instances that, hey, if we as Christians aren't willing to take care of widows or maybe even in our context, orphans, if you will, like that does not make us look very good. In a lot of ways, we look worse than those who don't even have the moral principles or structures of the scriptures guiding them. How much should you take care of your own family? Paul is saying, hey, you're worse than someone who doesn't have the gospel because you're acting the exact opposite of how Jesus would act. Yet you proclaim to follow Jesus. This is an oxymoron. This does not line up, okay? So when Jesus enters in, he truly changes our hearts. Like Jesus actually shifts who we are and, and what we think and, and how we act in this world. He truly changes us. And so if you are a Christian, your heart should be truly changed. And some of these matters like this are actually matters where you can test that pretty easily. 
Now, I'm not saying that you need to like deeply, deeply enjoy your parents. Sometimes as they get older, they're harder, aren't they? So it's not saying like, hey, enjoy them like they're your best friend. Right? That's not what it's saying, but it is saying honor them with your time, with your money, with the things, the resources that you have, okay? One more little quick nugget about this section, all right? I love verse five there. Look at verse five again. What Paul is telling Timothy is saying, hey, look, it's actually in your best interest to make sure that the church honors these women because she's going to be praying night and day, bro. That's the Ebonics translation, okay? Your Bible doesn't say bro, all right? But she's going to be praying night and day. She's going to be interceding for you. She's going to be a prayer warrior, if you will. Like, she's going to actually be interceding for you. And so you should honor them because they're going to cover your church in prayer. This is a really, really great and a really, really good thing, right? So what do we do, though, with widows that don't have families, It's a question. Or what do we do with widows or maybe even orphans, if you will, who who don't have families or or people to take care of them and they don't really have anybody guarding around them? Their their families aren't fulfilling their responsibilities. Paul's going to help Timothy see how he should run a structure or a program or a system in the church to make sure widows who don't have families are taken care of by their true and their greater family, the family of God. All right, let's finish our text. Verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having the reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, this is clearly some, stri- some uh, structure or some system or some program that Paul is telling Timothy to run here, right? We see the word enroll. And so Timothy was using some ancient version of an Excel sheet to make sure these women were enrolled in some ways, right? Like to enroll somebody automatically includes writing their name down and keeping track of them and, and making sure that certain things are going on. He also gave some rules in order to be a part of this program or of this structure or system. In fact, he gave eight different rules. Okay, what are they? Well, he said, one, she has to be at least 60, is what it says. So uh, if she's younger, then she could probably work for herself. Or even in that culture, it was very, very common because there was so much more war and disease for the husbands to die earlier. And so it's very, very common that she can actually even remarry possibly. So Paul says, hey, she has to be at least over 60 so that she actually is in need. She has to be a one-woman man is how you can translate that, okay? Or the, the wife of one husband. It's the exact same qualification that an elder has to be 
be a, a one-man woman, okay? In other words, she's not seeking after all these different men. In fact, some of her uh, uh, scandalousness may have even placed her in this situation and circumstance today. Paul's saying, look, she had to be faithful to her husband when, she, when he was around, okay? She's godly, and now she's in need. She has to have a reputation of good works. If she has children, she should br- bring them up well. She had to be hospitable. She had to wash the feet of the saints, was such a picture of serving the saints. Christ washed the feet of the apostles as a picture of uh, humbling himself and, and serving them. And so she should be reflecting Christ in that way and humbly submitting herself and serving others. She should care for the afflicted, and she should have given herself to every good work, which is sort of an overarching, she has to be a godly woman. That's kind of what Paul's saying here, right? She has to be a godly woman who's actually in need, proving she's indeed worthy of receiving honor back that she herself has given. So she has extended that honor, and now she should be receiving honor back. Just like the widow who has taken care of her kids, the kids should end up giving back to their parents. So too, this widow has taken care of the church, and so now it's the church's responsibility to give back to her. It's another form of a child-parent relationship relationship, if you will. Now, there are times to honor everyone, and that's true. There are times that we give to the poor. There are times that we just do things freely where we give to different people, and our hearts extend into that. But if you're going to fully and completely take care of somebody, it takes a lot of energy, effort, and work, does it not? Like, if you're actually going to fully take care of them the way it seems like Paul is commanding the church to fully take care of them, it's going to take a lot of energy, effort, and work. And so you can't do this with everyone. It's impossible as a church, as a local church, to do this with everybody. So you have to make sure you're taking care of the people who actually need it and who actually deserve it. Verse 16 gives us a little insight into this again, right? This is smart. Paul's just saying, look, you can't take care of everyone. Make sure you take care of those who actually need it. Use logic have these systems, have these structures in place to make sure that you're honoring those who are supposed to actually be honored. Paul is showing Timothy, look, here's who's supposed to receive money. Now, the heart of a Christian should honestly want to help everyone. And we kind of hit on that a little bit before, but when you see brokenness in the world, when you see suffering, when you see pain, because Jesus's heart deeply wants to alleviate that suffering and pain, and we see that at its fullest extent on the cross where he suffered, and was full of pain for us, we too should want to help others who are deeply in pain. But a local church can only do so much. And Paul is showing Timothy, look, here's how you organize one of the systems in the church in order to help those who are actually in need. Because let's be honest, some people just milk the church, don't they? I mean, you've probably seen that. This is part of the reason why you have to have a system or a structure in place. It prevents people who are kind of trying to selfishly use the church, like one of the widows was in Paul's case. One of the widows was young, and Paul says, look, she's just going to use the church, suck up the money, and then she's going to go out and actually just leave Christ as a whole. She's not even going to be a faithful mother to the church, if you will. So why should the church be a faithful child to this widow? Paul's saying, look, we shouldn't do that. And so some people just milk the church. They just use the church's resources. They will become lazy and they'll ultimately lead and turn into sin. That or they'll become desperate housewives is what Paul is describing in this verse, right? That was supposed to be a joke. No, three people laughed at that. All right, here we go. That means it's getting boring. Let's keep going, all right? Some people, okay, abuse the church's generosity at times, right? Like, that's just true. 
Some people abuse the church of generosity. In fact, uh, uh, we have a benevolence program set up at the well. And part of the reason why I was actually encouraged to even preach on this is because if you are in need as a people of the church, like we want to be able to provide for you. Some of the money that we give every week immediately gets set aside to go into benevolence where we're able to help those who are in need. And we've been able to do some really cool things and to help some people in some really cool ways through that, right? Even as a small church, even though our budget isn't that great, even though people aren't getting paid that much who are on staff, aka me, I'm the only staffer right now, right? But even though like, like that's not happening at a huge extent, like we're still able to give in some ways. However, there are other times where people try to milk and abuse the church. One example of that is that there was a woman who about a year and a half ago reached out to the church and gave this huge, huge story that I'll save for today, okay? It's supposed to be a shorter sermon, right? But a, a, a really, really uh, compelling story. So he said, hey, look, man, we, we would love to give something to you to be able to help you begin to move towards wholeness. She had never been to the well before, but we said, man, we want to bless you anyway. And so well, our benevolence director, uh, they met and ended up extending some money to her, okay? About a week later, we got a call again, and there was a whole other story, and there was a deep need again. And we said, well, like, we don't have any more money. Like, we're a broke, small church, but we are connected to other churches that aren't broke and that aren't small, all right? And so let us try to connect you with some of them. So I'm making some calls around, and uh, she's calling my phone over and over again, giving me all these different stories. And it's like, man, this woman is Job, it felt like. Like, her life is miserable, right? Well, as I start calling some of these churches, one of them uses a system or a structure, what they call Charity Tracker, which we now use as a church. What happens is when somebody asks for benevolence, you uh, put that uh, uh, name into the Charity Tracker and you show, hey, we've given to them so that people can't end up milking the church. So I gave uh, this church their name and she said, oh, she's been denied. Like, we won't give to her anymore as a church. And I said, oh, like, why not? So, well, she told us like six different stories and we found out that like none of it was true. I said, really? I said, I'm not really supposed to be telling you this because you're supposed to be on Charity Tracker yourself as a church and we're no system, no structure yet. Okay, we're a church plant, so we were not. And then she was like, uh, actually 13 churches in the city have denied her. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> right? Like, like she, she's trying to pimp us essentially, okay? And so... Michael thought that was funny. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, okay, we get a call, call, call. And I'm like, hey, we're not able to help you. And I'm not not the guy that like is mean. That's that's not my personality. So I was like, hey, we can't help you. We can't help you. Anyway, I looked at my phone and over the past year and a half, she's called me 98 times. Okay. Some people would just try to milk or abuse the church if they could. Now, luckily, we were a part of a greater church that actually sent us out as a church that they use a system or a structure to help make sure this doesn't happen. Because how many other churches has she been doing this with and giving this same story and this same spiel? And every time she leaves a voicemail, it's another version of something crazy that's happening, right? Now, sometimes people's lives do look like that. But as a church, we want to walk alongside of you and really support you, honor you, just like a child should a mother who is in need. We've had other instances. We uh, serve in ADRN where people have tried to use or abuse this system and structure. And there are different instances in different ways where it's important to have some guardrails, if you will, in order to help those who actually need help. 
So this is why it's important, one of the reasons why it's important for a church to have structures or, or systems, not just for helping those in need, but for many different reasons, right? Heck, this is why we have every one of you fill out a communication card every single week. That's one of our structures or one of our systems. Why? Because if you're a guest or a visitor, we want to say, hey, thank you for coming. We want to make sure you feel welcomed and loved. We can actually gain insight from you often because we send you a survey, and if you fill it out, then it gives us fresh eyes because sometimes we don't see things. We're here every week. We're just used to it, but you're able to see different things, or we're able to see, uh, uh, look, hey, here's where we need help, or man, we're really looking for a leader in this situation. We can go in and look, and if it's like, oh, that person's actually only at church like 20% of the time, could they actually be a leader if they're only doing something 20%? Probably not, and so then it helps us bypass that. So even something as small as a communication card is one of our ways that as a church, we want to be systematic and, and structured, right? In fact, let me do this. Uh, we've never done this before, but I want to show you our ministry structure, okay? It's going to be on the screen. It's probably going to be really tiny. Probably not going to be able to fully see that, particularly if you're in the back, okay? But we hope that as a church, as we grow, this is able to actually grow and extend more and more and more, and that we are actually able to help the church uh, really reach out into the community. As you know, as a church, we want to exalt, disciple, send. That's kind of our what we say. And so as you see, we have an exalt elder, Paul Carlson, a disciple elder, myself, a send elder, Michael Cox, and then we had to make something cute for Jake in order to fit in that, so he put a support structure, okay? I'm totally kidding. Jake knew I was going to throw that joke out. All right, but what it was is that, look, there are other things that don't necessarily fit well within it, or it has so much of a structural, a support system for the church as a whole, that it's actually good for it to have its own individual category. And so here's what helps support the church, like finances. And so as you see, we have different people that are leading in all those different things. And we have a lot of leadership development material that we want to roll out, hopefully in the fall, that will help us develop as leaders. We want you to to have ideas about how you can take and improve the church some, and maybe even God to use your gifts to be placed in certain ways where you can help the church be edified and, and really grow our ministries. In fact, we just added a prayer ministry under the exalt piece because Brad and Rachel Mills said, hey, we really want to see our church praying more and more and more. And the elders pray all the time, and the elders are, are keep praying, but we as a church want to pray too. So boom, they started up a prayer ministry, and they had a class, and they're discipling and leading people now, and then now we have a prayer ministry under this structure. We hope that as the church grows, we're able to see this grow more and more and more. In fact, if you're savvy, you'll realize that the blue ones mean that they are open. So like a drummer or a bassist, if this is part of what you feel called to, here's a way you can actually really serve the church, honestly, right? And there are going to be more that are open as the time rolls on and we move toward the fall where we re-up a lot of our positions where maybe some more of these will open up and you can run those as well. In 1 Timothy, okay, Paul is talking about one specific type of structure, which is taking care of one of the social problems at the time. There were tons of other social problems, but he gave Timothy structure on how to find and ordain elders and deacons, didn't he? 
we looked at chapter three. Here's what you should look for for an elder. Boom, 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 boom. These 14 things have to be in place. That's a system. That's a structure, if you will. That's a way to make sure the church is protected in a lot of ways, okay? Some people are extremely structured and they love things like this. In fact, this is semi-worshipful to them, right? Some people are very simple, if you will. It's not that they are or they aren't structured. They're just very, very simple. And some people are even kind of chaotic in their thinking and their actions, and that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with anywhere on that spectrum. However, we know that too much of any of those things can actually be a problem, right? If you're too far on either of those, it could be a problem. That's why the church body as a whole is important because some of you guys are more structured or less structured than others. And as we come together as a church, we're able to help each other as a church. Let me give you a very honest example. When we were about a year and a half in as a church, we had the opportunity to kind of partner plant with four or five other churches, okay? Now, I tend to lean onto the little bit more chaotic side, all right? I lack a little bit of structure. As you can tell, I said this is gonna be a shorter sermon. It's not, all right? I apologize, but I'm just kind of more onto this side. So I'm like, hey, let's go do this. Like we're a year and a half in, we got a little bit of money. We have like 40 people, like we can do this, right? Like let's go. And Jake Ridley, was one of our elders at the time, our support elder. As you can tell, that's probably more structured, right? Said, uh, how are we going to do this? We don't have any money, right? Like we barely have any people. We're not even paying you as a pastor. How is it that we're supposed to do this? And I'm like, who cares, man? Just go by faith, right? And I lost that argument, right? Lost that vote. It's important though, as elders, right, that we have those because our church would probably be in the red in a lot of different ways if it were just me running this, right? And so it's important that we have people that balance each other in a lot of those uh, particular ways. Now, ultimately both matter. Okay, structure, uh, 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 living by faith, moving by the Spirit, uh, uh, allowing the Spirit to move, like both of those things matter, okay? Now, what you may be thinking 30 minutes in is how in the world does this impact me, all right? You may not even call the well home, so all of this may be super far for you. You may say, hey, how does this impact me? Well, first of all, if you're a part of this church, we want you to know why we do certain things, we haven't walked through every one of these structures. That would take a couple of hours or a couple of days, maybe even, right? But we're trying to, as a church, be as biblically faithful as possible while taking some of the things that are going on in Scripture and contextualizing them to our context while still honoring the Word of God. Does that make sense? We're trying to make sure that we're, we're honoring the word in this. And so one practical application that you can take from this sermon is that you can pray for our church that we would be organized and structured. That we as the elders would have wisdom, would have understanding, would have guidance as to how to interact with the church in the right way to make sure that we're doing the right things, that we may bless as many people as possible for the kingdom of God. As a church, we do not exist just to be get big or comfortable by ourselves, but as we grow and as we become more structured, as we become more put together, as we move from church plant to church, what we're able to do is we're able to impact the world in far more significant ways. And that's what we're about. It's seeing disciples made who make disciples who go live sent lives where the gospel is impacting in very beautiful ways. And so some of the things that we have structure around, like Campbell Elementary, we meet here. 
right? Every time you give, a portion of your money goes right away to the Campbell students or, or ADRN, uh, Austin Disaster Relief Network. We're, we're serving in that way. We want to grow in service with some human trafficking prevention and rescuing. And we want to do that. We need some people that are going to highlight and that are going to win that for us and say, hey, I'll help run this structure. I'll help lead people. I'll help make sure people are at meetings and things get announced and things like that. Like all these things are important, right? You can think, how can I do a good job to help our church become systematic that we may be able to reach as many people as possible, right? Now, some of you don't care. Some of you are like, I just want to go help. That's great. Go help, (laughs) right? Like, that's why some of this is in place to allow you to just run in and just help where it's needed. So, man, go help. Go serve. If if you know how to beat a drum, man, go beat a drum. That's important, right? We can't just have Chris up here doing that. Like, many people need to do that. So sometimes we just want to run in and help, and that's great. We want you to do that, but we also have to have things in place to make sure it happens. That's why we ask you, Covenant members, to confirm on Planning Center right? Y'all are laughing. You know you're getting rebuked, right? <laughs> right? Like, like, it's important, okay? Because when we show up and there's one usher and we don't know what to do with the rest of them, like, that's important that you reject or accept. Little tiny things like that help us as a church be organized that we may be able to serve as many people as possible for the kingdom of God. And so, that's how, as a church, we can apply this. Now, maybe you're not a believer, Okay? Maybe you're kind of seeking, maybe you're, you're wrestling with the faith, you're wrestling with God. Who is this God uh, thing? What is this all about? Here's what I hope you actually see from this, okay? What I hope that you see from this is that God is not just this chaotic God with this crazy idea that God is actually a God of structure. In fact, a lot of you are trying to systematically piece things together to make sense of God. And I would say, man, continue to do that. Continue to do that. God is a God of structure. Now, while you'll never be able to come to the full understanding of God, because that would actually make you God if you knew who God was fully, you can piece enough things together to realize this isn't just some chaotic mess of a religion. This isn't just some chaotic people saying some chaotic things. Like God has made himself known. There's an ability to be known by God, by us, that we can actually know him. And this is all put together. God is a God of structure. So you can and figure that out. I mean, God created the solar system, didn't he? Like he is a systematic God. God created the, the digestive system, right? Or the immune system or the carbon cycle or system and on and on and on and on and on. God has created tons of systems and structures. Even within creation himself, he is a put together God. At the exact same time, sometimes he comes down like a consuming fire upon us and he's wild even if you will at times. God dances over us with loud shouting. God, God is uh, 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 explosive in a lot of ways where we can't fully understand him always. And so even God has both of the wings of the airplane, if you will. But what I'm hoping that you see if you're wrestling with the faith is that, I mean, you can make sense out of some of this. While it's a weird move by faith message that we believe in somebody who's resurrected from the dead, there's some proof to that too. Nobody can find that man's bones. So many people changed because of what Jesus' message was. They didn't just kind of live a weird life. Eleven of the apostles died for the faith. They got martyred. You don't die for something you don't believe in. Apparently, they think they saw something. And so as you begin to try to structure and piece together Christianity, you can realize, man, even within the faith, there's the ability to understand God. God is a God of order, okay? Now, we could end here. 
and say, now let's be a church that both moves by faith, but we also make sure that we have structures and systems in place. And that would honestly be an okay application. All right. But I want to take us one step deeper. I want to take us under the surface here a little bit, under the hood of the car, if you will, on this. Remember all the systems and structures in the Old Testament? You remember all of them? Let me actually word it like this. Remember when you said that you were going to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you stopped at Leviticus? Do <laughs> you remember that, right? Where it was rule after rule after rule and system and structure and it didn't fully make sense. You had the sacrificial system, the priestly system, the purity system. You had the structure of the temple and you had all these measurements. You had no idea what they meant all these sacrifices, and these were all supposed to be structures and systems that the Jews were supposed to keep in order to be right before God. If they followed all these things to perfection, then they could be right before God, but they couldn't. And they tried, 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 and then they got defeated by a foreign army, and then they tried again, and then they got defeated again, they tried again, they tried and tried and tried. And they could not keep all the systems and structures that were lined up for them. And there are rules before every one of us, is there not? Love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody batting 100% on that one? Yeah? No? Right? You ever love every single person that's around you the same way that you take care of yourself? Bless those who harm you or who persecute you. When things like what happened in France this week happened, is your immediate thought to bless them? to honor them, to pray for them, to to pray for their repentance? Or do you immediately want to see judgment, but you want others to be gracious towards you when you're wrong, right? Do you uh, give away your money and possessions completely? Like, are you totally free with that? If I said right now, man, God's just moving me by the spirit to have all of you give everything you have to the church, right? Would you be able to do that? Or do you hold on to some of them? Don't worry, we're systematic. We're not going to do that, okay? (laughs) All right. But would you hold some of them? Are there idols in your life? Can you lay down all your idols before God? Do you pick up your cross and follow him? Like the Jews, many of us try and we try and we try to be good enough before God and we can't. We don't always love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't always give to the poor the way we should. We don't always bless those who persecute us. We don't always love unconditionally. We don't even love ourselves the way that scripture calls us to love ourselves. How can we love others or even God in that way? We don't. We fall short. And deep, deep down, we know that there's something wrong with this and that there's something wrong with us. We break promises. We can't break bad habits. And on and on and on we can go. We're not even good enough for ourselves. How are we good enough for a perfect God? And so what are we supposed to do? How is it that we enter into this relationship with a perfect God, a holy God? And do you know what scripture says to this? That we can't keep all the rules. God actually knows this to be the case. There are so many of them lined up and we are tainted with sin that it is impossible for us to always keep the will of God to perfection. And because of that, our punishment from that is separation from the divine forever. We will no longer have love or peace or joy or bliss or happiness or all the things that are wrapped up and that are fully found in God. We're supposed to be separated from that. And so what do we do? How do we fulfill this structure? Do you even love the orphans and widows the way that this text just told us to? Like, do we really love the widows like this? Have you even thought about a widow in the past week, month, year? 
decade maybe even, right? Like, like how in the world are we supposed to do all the things that scripture lays out for us? How do we love the widows? How do we honor the less fortunate? How do we do all these things? And then in comes Jesus who kept every single system and structure to perfection. Please let that sink into your hearts. Jesus kept every single system and structure to absolute perfection. Jesus was our perfect high priest that was ordained after the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews tells us. And he offered himself as a sacrifice, being the perfect sacrifice because there was truly no blemish in him. And he fulfilled all of the moral laws to perfection. Love those who couldn't love themselves, right? He was the perfect person. See, as we submit ourselves to Jesus, he gives us that righteousness and through him, we fulfill every single system and structure that's meant for us in scripture. He takes on our filthiness and he gives us his righteousness. That's the heart of the gospel. And by giving us his righteousness, do you know what he also gives you? His good works. You are saved in some ways by works. It's just not your works, it's his. We receive it by faith. And then he gives us the works that he did on our behalf. That is a beautiful thing. God is a God of order and structure. And see, even salvation in some ways is pretty systematic, yet it's received by faith. And we see both wings of the airplane flying the plane of the gospel, right? Jesus fulfilled all of these promises that we may rest in him, okay? So go back to our text today. Even think about our text today. How did Jesus on earth take care of widows? Well, if you're familiar with the gospel, you'll remember in Luke chapter 7, Jesus resurrected a man from the dead so that he can take care of his widow mother. Like that's what Luke 7 says. Jesus saw the widow, he felt grieved for her, and he resurrected somebody from the dead to make sure she was taken care of. That's kind of honoring widows, right? In Mark chapter 12, he goes into the temple and these Pharisees are giving hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the other widow comes in and throws a couple of pennies in and he honors her. And he says, she will receive the kingdom and she will be far more rich in heaven than they will ever be on earth. He'll give her riches. He'll give her his money. Just comes after life, right? And even on the cross in John chapter 20, when it is excruciating and nearly impossible to even breathe, Jesus is standing on the cross and he looks down at his mother who is about to be a widow and he looks at John the apostle and says, your mother, take care of her. Jesus made sure that this widow was about to be taken care of. Jesus cared for widows. So even as you see in this text, Jesus literally fulfilled every single thing that scripture lays out for him. And by faith in him, we too now get that fulfillment. Even more, friends, Jesus took care of us when we were completely down and out. Did he not? When we were helpless, when we, when we could not help ourselves, when we were in our lowest in sin, Jesus became sin for us. He not just gave us out of his riches to support us financially, he gave out of his spiritual riches that we who are spiritually impoverished may be rich forever in him. That should be at least one amen. That is yours, friends, if you believe in Jesus. You are now rich in Christ, right? He emptied out his holiness, his spiritual bank account, that he may pay for the penalty of sin that we were indebted to. Jesus took care of us by fulfilling the law, and now we have freedom under him. 
We're free to interact with the gospel. Even when Jesus was on the cross, friends, he became an orphan himself, did he not? Separated from the Father, no longer having that relationship, truly separated from the Father so that we who are orphans may become sons and daughters in him. Don't you see the beauty of the gospel here? Right, where, where all these things that are actually true spiritually of us, we are widows. We are not wed to God. We are not wed to Christ, but yet through the gospel, he brings us into marriage with him. We are now no longer widows, but we're married to the king. He is our husband. We are his bride. We were orphans, not being able to take care of ourselves. And in the gospel, we become sons and daughters of God Almighty, co-heirs with Christ. This is what the gospel gives us. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus worked within this system and structure that seemed all but impossible to fulfill. And he did it. And he fulfilled it for us. And he said on the cross, it is finished. I completed every single work that was supposed to be completed. And so this is how this text will ultimately apply to us. And even as we begin to understand and see the gospel, doesn't that make you want to then apply this text all the more? Like, doesn't it make you want to, want to earthly apply this text as you see how much Jesus has given to us individually? Friends, the church is supposed to be a haven for those who are hurting. And that's ultimately what Paul's getting at here in this text. We're supposed to be the true and greater family when one has no family. So verse four through eight, this is what it means for somebody to take care of their family. But if they have no family, fret not. Because if you are the people of God, if you are brothers and sisters, then we're meant to honor each other in that. And so as a church, what we should look like is more and more beautifully trying to honor one another as we all submit to ourselves and as we serve each other as much as we can, we should honor one another within that. This is why it's important to be plugged into a local church. It does not have to be the well. I sincerely mean that. Just find some church that believes in the value of family that's going to take care of you the way that scripture commands the church to take care of you and make sure that you're in that because the church is there for us when everybody else departs. The church is meant to be the true family of God because we have the true husband and the true father that will never leave us or forsake us. We will always be sons if we believe in him. We will always be daughters. We will always be bride of Christ. This is a beautiful thing. The church should take care of widows physically because Jesus took care of us as widows spiritually. And this should be our heart. Systems and structure, they matter, friends, because they help us reach as many people as possible. But we have an even greater news in the gospel. And let's make sure that that is flowing from our lips at all given opportunities. I love you guys. Let's pray.